0: Welcome to the Bible Questions Podcast, brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You have Brian and Jeff.
0: And Jeff, uh, we kind of have a fun couple of podcasts ahead, don't we? Yeah, certainly sounds like we've got a lot of uh, ground to cover, so to speak. Yeah, we're going to be taking a look at
1: important questions that were submitted from 2022 as we look back over this previous year. And before we get into all that, you know, Jeff, today will be our 150th episode. So first and foremost, we would like to thank those of you who are listening for helping us over the last three years for this podcast to grow. It's grown really well, and we're beginning our fourth year officially. And so once again, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your interest in God's Word. And just a couple of quick statistics. You know, Jeff, we have listeners from over 132 countries. And within the last year, we've had over 6,000 downloads of this podcast. And so, you know, certainly a testament to people's interest in the truth. And we, once again, appreciate everybody who
0: listens. Oh, and I, I would echo that as well. You know, especially given the you know, relative ease, so to speak, that you and I can kind of have these sorts of conversations and bring you know Bible-related answers, get them recorded, post them to the website, etc. And then, as you said, anyone anywhere that has any kind of you know reasonable internet access, you know, around the entire planet can do it, and have done it, at least in terms of the podcast. Uh, in terms of the website, you know, we've been up and running for you know twenty plus years, so uh, and continue to get questions via that way as well. So, as you said, certainly appreciate everyone's uh, ongoing you know support and listening, and uh, you know more importantly, you know, taking to heart the things we're saying, especially if they're consistent with the Bible and applying them to their lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when we first started this podcast, that was really the intention: is to try and point out principles from God's Word questions that people have been submitting to our website that people have in general, and then giving book chapter and verse for everything we talk about, because ultimately it doesn't matter what Jeff and I think per se, it matters what God's word says. And so, as Jeff mentioned, would always encourage you to look at what God's word saying about these subjects. And one other quick note uh, about the podcast, and that is, you know, we are on almost all the major streaming services. So like Google's podcast, Apple, spotify iHeartRadio. you can also listen to it through your browser whether it's at our website biblequestions.org there's a podcast link that jeff set up at the very top where you can go and listen to you know the previous podcast and even there's an archive below that we'll talk more about where you can see by subject the different bible subjects that we've covered so anyhow feel free to listen however you'd like and please continue to listen we appreciate that very much now jeff you had alluded to the fact that our website biblequestions.org has been ex- in existence since the late 90s. And over, you know, the last 30 plus years, we've literally received thousands of questions from around the world on a host of different Bible topics. And so when we look back at 2022, we had over 900 submissions to the website and, you know, I'm guessing there were many who also were able to find answers to some of the more common Bible questions, for instance, Jeff you being the administrator of the site have a popular section, right, where it kind of lists some of the more common questions that we get. So even though we had 900 submissions of questions, there were many who were able to find answers once again to questions that we've previously answered that are at the
0: website. Yeah, that that, that would be my suspicion as well, even though I, I really don't have any way of monitoring that, especially since at this point we've got over a thousand I'll just call them articles in general. I mean, some are shorter, some are longer, but as I said, over a thousand covering, you know, a very, very wide variety of topics. So hopefully a lot of people, you know, via a self-service mechanism are finding what they need, but if they don't, that's fine. You know, as you've mentioned, there's the ask a question feature that we get personally involved with those. That's right. In fact, we hope that you'll just take time and look around the
1: website. I mean, all of the sermons that Alan Hitchin, who joins us frequently on this podcast, gives each week are recorded and available on the website. Alan's also put together a host of material on everything from prayer to subjects, you know, specific books in the Bible where he's done deep studies and has offered his material for free on the website for your own study. So, yeah, take a look around. I think you'll find many different things. Now, when we focus on the questions that were submitted in 2022, you know, some are really simple. You might say trivial, Uh, you know, why am I here? What do I need to do to be saved? And, you know, of course, that that in and of itself, those are important questions. But, you know, sometimes we also, Jeff, get complex questions, right? Thought-provoking questions. And we appreciate those because, you know, sometimes someone might find themselves in a situation where, They're just wondering, hey, is there a biblical principle that helps me to do the right thing here? So all of those questions are great and appreciated. And so, you know, when you sort of categorize these questions, Jeff, we would probably say, hey, some are more important, some are more consequential to others. And so you want to kind of give us a breakdown a little bit of, you know, the analysis that you did of all these questions and kind of what categories they would fall into?
0: Sure, glad to. So as Brian mentioned, we've got about 900, you know, submitted, you know, over the year. And so I, I looked at that list and tried to, I would say, detect major themes and, and looking across the 900 found that roughly, I mean, there were a lot of, you know, one, one off kind of questions, Uh, but the questions that seemed to be occurring uh, repeatedly, there were about 350 of those. Which fell into what I could tell roughly 40 different categories. And so, if you sort of slice and dice and looked at how many questions fell in each category, by far what I would call the top three tier or the top three themes that we saw are the top three categories. Third was like premillennialism, the end times, and the future. You know, out of like 350 questions, there were like 20, almost 30 of those. Christian living kind of came in second, uh, you know, how to live as a Christian and a lot of questions, you know, underneath that umbrella, if you will, a little bit more, about 30 of those, but by far the the number one topic I would say was related to salvation, how to be saved, about 75 out of the 350 that we categorized, or about 22%. So on the top tier, number one, salvation, followed by Christian living, followed by premillennialism. And then kind of, you know, behind those other questions related to the afterlife, you know, the nature of God and Jesus, Christian sexuality, marriage and divorce, and then, you know, some trailing questions in terms of Genesis and worship and the Holy Spirit and women and giving and Satan, et cetera. So a lot of reoccurring questions, which, Brian, I think is why we thought it might be good to Sort of put these questions into categories and then speak to you know each of those categories today. Uh, knowing that you know if a lot of people have already submitted questions on a topic, then our listeners might have, you know, very similar questions. So you know, given that kind of an intro, Brian, did you have anything else you wanted me to mention?
1: Yeah, I think it also illustrates just a wide range of questions that we can have about spiritual matters and how the Bible answers almost all of those questions. And, you know, I was talking to my son about this within the last week, how, you know, sometimes the Bible answers the specific question that we have. And other times, in fact, often I feel like it's really just about understanding basic principles that you can then apply to whatever situation or issue or question that you have.
0: Well, you know, I think that's a good point, too, because in a lot of ways, we living in the modern era experience, this is going to sound a little bit weird, experience things or have things that people 2000 years ago did not. You know, the internet, as an example, or video games, or these kinds of more modern technological kinds of things. And so people may say, well, you know, what does the Bible have to say about, you know, video games? Or what does the Bible have to say about pornography on the Internet? And the answer is specifically nothing. But yet at the same time, you can find principles, general principles in the Bible that would easily address a lot of these things that have these modern sort of like (laughs) wrapper, But at the core is is something that's very common, you know, throughout all of uh, humanity, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and that's really the beauty of the gospel is it really does, as Second Peter 1 3 says, you know, gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So yeah, just really pleased with the Lord and giving us his truth. So what we thought we'd do for today is kind of highlight, you know, some of the more significant topics for those of you who are listening. Kind of as a preview of what we'll be talking about in this two-part series. We're going to be talking about the nature of God and Jesus, salvation and how to become a Christian how to live as a faithful Christian. We'll look at some questions and answers about dating, marriage, and divorce, premillennialism or future things, and then death in the afterlife. So as Jeff touched on, these were some of the more popular or we might call important questions in 2022. So we wanna kinda of, you know, dive into that. And in case you know, there's a theme or maybe questions that we are not covering today, you know we would invite you to go to our website you know whether it's the topics menu that you'll see on the home page where it's an alphabetical index there's also a search index where you could type in you know a word like baptism for instance and it'll bring up all the material on the website related to that and then we have that podcast section that we mentioned earlier where by category it lists all of the you know the 150 episodes what are the different subjects that we've covered so encourage you to utilize that and then also there's the ask a question button so once again if there's something that you have a question about that you're not able to find or hear about please feel free to submit that so i guess jeff to start out we're going to talk about the nature of god and jesus as a category right
0: And, and actually i think that's probably a good category to start off with because you know, is there a God? Is there a supreme being? What does he expect of us? It you know, certainly is a, is a very first step, if you will, in, you know, becoming a Christian, being a faithful Christian, et cetera. You know, is to acknowledge God as well as his nature. And, and certainly we do get a lot of questions, as I indicated before, you know, on this. And I think part of that might be, you know, we as humans, as we read through the Bible you know we come across some you know descriptions or characteristics of god or deity that honestly are hard for us as humans to understand and this also includes questions submitted to us about why god chose to act in certain ways that might seem odd or inconsistent to us so the question about both you know the nature of deity as well as why why did he act in certain ways so for instance we get questions about where god came from you know, where did God come from? Who created him, etc.? And simply speaking, answer to that from the scriptures is the Bible indicates God has always existed, even before the creation of the universe in Genesis chapter 1. You know, from this perspective, he's eternal, has always existed, per Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, Romans 1, verse 20, and Romans 16, verse 26. So, no one created him, he's always existed. Another common question that we get is related to the interaction, if you will, of God and this being we know of as Satan or the devil. For instance, here's one. Why did God give us the devil to trouble us, yet he says my plans are to prosper you and not to harm you? Well, first of all, for those kinds of questions, I would challenge the concept that God gave us the devil or that God created the devil as evil, et cetera. And this is kind of, also kind of an area where we have to confess that the Bible isn't as explicit as we would want it to be uh, with respect to the origin of the devil. Certainly we have verses like uh, John 1, 1 through 3, where it talks about, you know, Jesus as the word creating all things. Uh, hence, we understand the devil's a created being, most people tend to think he's an angel that, with free will, rebelled against God. You know, not created evil, but chose to rebel against God. But even that view has some uh, potential problems. Second Peter 2.4 indicates, you know, angels who sin are, you know, restrained or restricted within chains. However, God does permit, you know, Satan or the devil some degree of relative freedom. And you can see that in Genesis three. you can see that at the beginning of the book of Job uh, in the temptation of Jesus, 1 peter five eight, etc. So perhaps you know God allows the devil to work in order to fully give humanity free will and the ability and the opportunity to choose between good and evil. But again, some degree of uh, uncertainty there. And Brian, you know this is probably a, a good question to mention deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. It talks about, you know, some things that are secret, not revealed. But the things that are revealed are the ones we need to focus on. And we often quote Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29, when the scriptures just don't give us a solid answer. And, you know, that's all we can say is what the Bible says. And to go beyond that, we we try not to speculate. So there you go. There's, there's a couple of questions there, Brian, in terms of, you know, the origin of God and his interaction with Satan. I think we have some more in this category as well, don't we? Yeah, we
1: sure do. In fact, once we get through each section, we also are going to point everyone back to additional material on the website, podcasts, and so forth. So, for instance, one of the podcasts that we did, I think it was like a year and a half ago, was Getting to Know God, where, you know, we talked about some of these parts of God's nature that's good for us to know, like, you know, He's omnipotent, all-powerful, He's omniscient, all-knowing, He's immutable, changes, those kinds of things. And so, it's certainly worth looking into, and to your point, Jeff, you know, we can only really look at what the Bible says, but the Bible does have quite a bit to say, and even though it may not tell us specifically like, hey, where did the devil come from? We know what the characteristics of the devil are and that God has given us power over the devil, right? Not to allow him to sort of run us over, if you will. So when we go to this next section or group of questions, I guess I should say, are are questions about God's interaction with man. So an example of some of the questions that were submitted about this: One is, since the Lord God is all knowing, He must have known the fall of man to occur in Eden. Why did God create them anyway? So why did God create us? Right, that's kind of a general question we get a lot. James one thirteen. Here's the second question. James one thirteen says that God does doesn't tempt anyone. But why in the Lord's prayer in Matthew six thirteen does it say, "Lead us not into temptation"? Good question. Another one, I know God is a God of love, but why does he allow such justice of killing in the Old Testament, most especially for breaking Sabbath or blasphemy? So, yes, under the old law, we see that God at times immediately put men to death who violated his law. Well, let's start out with that first section there about, you know, why did God create man? Well, the scriptures tell us that God created man to do good and to enjoy everything that he created. So God wanted the best for his creation. God created this beautiful planet that we live on, gave us our five senses of smell and touch and hearing and being able to see the beauty of his creation. And so, for instance, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Acts 14.17 tells us that God gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. So, God wants man to be happy. He gave us this wonderful creation in our bodies to be happy and to be productive doing these good works. And then, Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, I know that nothing is better for them to rejoice and to do good in their lives, speaking of man. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. So not only did God give us these good works and labor to do, but he wants us to be able to rest at the end of an evening, let's say after a hard day's work, feeling good about the hard work we've done, and to be able to enjoy things like good food and so forth. And so as it relates to knowing man would fall, yes, God knew this. He's all-knowing. But he wanted to give man an opportunity to be righteous, an opportunity at eternal life by being obedient to his will. In fact, Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us that God promised before time began that there would be this eternity, this eternal life for those who are faithful to his will. So that's really God's intention. And even though he knew once again man would sin, that didn't necessarily mean that he would therefore say, you know what, I'm not going to create man. Now, a second group of questions. Why in Matthew 6.13 does it say, lead us not into temptation? So sometimes you have to look at what the truth is to better understand passages. So this is an example of that. For instance, we know based on James chapter 1 and verse 13 that God does not tempt man. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.13 that we should ask the Lord to deliver us from the evil one. So we would we can reasonably conclude that the Lord would not lead us to be tempted. So sometimes, yeah, people wonder, well, what does it mean to say lead us not into temptation? Well, what Jesus is saying is we should ask God to help us from being tried, tested, or tempted in a way that we're not able to bear. And you know, this is what God promised he would actually do, and that's why his promise in First Corinthians chapter 10 and 13 is so important. Because here he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, a wonderful promise from God. Not only does he not lead man into some temptation he can't handle, but he also gives us a way to escape each and every temptation based on what we are able to bear. So such a wonderful promise and aspect of our lives that God has blessed us with. And then the last section here, you know, why did God allow justice of killing? In other words, you know, why did he, and I like how the question, the person who submitted the question said justice of killing, because when you violate God's law, you're certainly worthy of death. His old law mentioned that. And so what we can conclude from this is that God expects man to keep his law as he has given it, and those who break his law deserve to be punished. And that goes back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. You know, God punished them for breaking the law that he gave them to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what we do see is under the old law, Jeff, you know, sometimes this meant swift punishment, right? Like death to be sometimes an example to others, but basically to really send the message that he did not want his law changed. And so you see the example, for instance, of like Achan in Joshua chapter 7, Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 4. All of these were examples of men and women who violated God's law, and God put them to death on the spot. Now, under the covenant that we live under today, the law of Christ, God will wait until the judgment day to bring about punishment or reward for those who are either wicked or faithful. And so we see that in passages like, 2 Corinthians 5.10, and Romans 2, verses 6 through 11. So we'd encourage you to look at that. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you for any thoughts.
0: Yeah, just briefly, I mean, even in the uh, the few opening moments of our podcast, we've seen that, yes, indeed, there is a supreme being, according to the Bible, created us in some ways in a good state, you know, in the image of God, etc. And yet we have free will and this being will hold us accountable for our choices, you know, held people accountable, you know, in the Old Testament, held people accountable in the New Testament, and will continue to hold us accountable today. So, at a, at a very baseline or a base level, uh, we see that there is someone with whom we have to account to or be responsible to uh, from a scriptural perspective. This this will kind of set the stage, if you will, for subsequent questions related to, you know, how to be uh, acceptable to God, you know, how to become a faithful Christian, how to live as a faithful Christian, etc. So that's that's what I've got, Brian.
1: Yeah, good points. And, and really, I mean, it makes sense. We should be accountable to our Creator. And, you know, I remember Jeff, when I was in high school, I worked for a gentleman who was an atheist, and he was willing to talk about the Bible and the truth. And I remember him asking me once, how could God expect man to worship him and do this and that? And I basically said what you just said, and that is, well, you know, he created us He certainly has the right to hold us accountable. And doesn't it make sense that we would want to worship our great God who has given us all of these good things? And so anyhow, it's sometimes difficult for people to view it the correct way. But if you look at it as the Bible teaches us the right way, then it becomes very apparent. We have a wonderful, loving God who doesn't necessarily want to put us to death. He certainly doesn't want, in fact, he takes no pleasure and the death of the wicked, as we're told in Ezekiel 18. In fact, he wants all men to repent, you know, 2 Peter 3, 9. So the next section that we'll look at are questions about the deity of Jesus. And so a couple of examples of questions that we received in this past year. It, one is in Genesis 1, it says, Let us make man in our image. What does it mean, us and our? Good question. Second one, can I get a clear understanding and view a, on the dichotomy between the Almighty God, and they have in parentheses Allah, and Jesus Christ and then this came this was submitted by a gentleman who said he was a Muslim and then the third question is Jesus God if yes why is it said he is the child of God so to begin with the us and are in Genesis 126 is referring to the Godhead and by Godhead we mean God Jesus and the Holy Spirit now we see God and the Holy Spirit mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 during the creation And if you look over in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and if you also look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, we see that Jesus was also there in the beginning. In fact, it says we're taught in the Bible that Jesus actually carried out the actual creating based on God's plan. And so that's kind of fascinating when you think about it, but it clearly shows that they all three were present in the creation, and that the us and our, as far as making man in our image, it says, was in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, as far as this dichotomy or contrast between God and Jesus, well, first, they are separate beings. The The Bible makes that very clear. Jesus was the Son of God, and he was not simply a prophet, as is believed by many Muslims who follow the religion of Islam. And I mentioned that because the gentleman who submitted the question references Allah, which is just the Arabic term for God, but when you think about what Muslims believe, you know, Muslims believe in monotheism that there is just one God and that Jesus was simply a prophet, good man, but he was not part of God or of the Godhead. Well, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 and also in Matthew 17 verse 5, God said, this is my beloved son when speaking about jesus this was after jesus was baptized he came out of the water the spirit descended upon him like a dove so the spirit was there as well and god says this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and so he's clearly referring to jesus there so it makes it clear that this was his son and not only are god and jesus separate beings you know but god sent his son we're told to be the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, as we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and three, uh, one through 3. And then Hebrews 9 tells us that he was sent as a sacrifice for sin. So when you look at that book of Hebrews, specifically 8, 9, it talks about this new covenant, how Jesus came, he ratified or brought about the new covenant through his shed blood when he died on the cross and so forth. And so, as I mentioned, there are some, especially those that believe in the religion of Islam, that teaches monotheism, they reject the truth of the Godhead, but the Bible makes it clear that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are part of what's often called the Trinity, that there is a Godhead. We see that, for instance, in Matthew 28, verse 19. And so then it really, you know, just kind of comes down to accepting the Bible as God's word and rejecting the creeds of men. And ultimately, that's what we need to do, because God's word, God's bible that we have today is the standard and then the last section here about you know is jesus god yes as we've been talking about jesus was the son of god and was also part of the godhead but as part of the godhead the scriptures also tell us that he was equal with god in a divine sense so if you look over in fact let me ask you jeff if you wouldn't mind reading this over in philippians chapter 2 verses
0: 5 through 8 certainly
1: So it talks about him being equal with God, and so you know, even though Jesus was a distinctly separate being, he was equal with God in purpose and divinity. But he, we want to realize, he was still in subjection to God. You know, God was at the very top, if you will. Jesus was in subjection to Him, and He said, on many occasions, He came to do God's will. So, Jeff, I guess that's kind of the tough part, isn't it? Sometimes for us to understand is that even though He was a distinct being. He was God. He was with God. He was part of the Godhead.
0: Well, true. And in our limited human experience, that's kind of a hard thing to reconcile. How two, or actually three, if you want to include the Holy Spirit, can be considered as somewhat separate beings and yet be not only of the same nature but also of the same purpose or will or inclination or similar thinking, et cetera, that that they can be considered as one. You know, in our world, we have separate people and they have separate wills and they're arguing, can't agree, et cetera. And yet in the nature of deity, you know, it isn't a single entity. It's like three entities. And yet they are so united, so together, if you will that in some ways they can be considered as one. And that again, that's a concept that our brains just kind of start to melt down when we uh, try to uh, wrap our minds around it. And I think it's also why it's somewhat confusing when we see scriptures or or even people's questions, is Jesus God? Well, and and that word God kind of has a couple subtle meanings. One is like, well, God as in the Supreme Being, you know, like God the Father. Is Jesus God the Father? Well, no. But there's also the meaning of God in terms of deity, meaning the nature of deity. So we read that First John one about the Word being with God, you know, with what we would understand God the Father, and was God, well, not God the Father, but was deity. You know, that was his, that was his nature. So anyway, a confusing question that we get a lot to the website. Brian kind of continuing on this subject of the nature of God and the nature of Jesus etc. We do get a fair number of questions that talk about Jesus and how he lived, how he died, etc. For example, uh, in the Apostles' Creed, it says that he, being Jesus, descended into hell and rose again. We're confused about that. Did Jesus go to hell before he went to heaven? And here again, here's another case where we have a word that has couple different shades of meaning. Now, first of all, uh, as for our listeners, as Brian and I always emphasize, you got to keep coming back to the scriptures. Well, here's a case, and some multiple cases where people have written about the Apostles' Creed. You know, we need to be very careful about accepting anything outside of the Bible, and that includes what's commonly called the Apostles' Creed, which unfortunately is kind of mislabeled or misnamed. From what I could tell, it really didn't come into existence until about 300 years after the apostles died. So this is not something the apostles got together and wrote. It's something uninspired people got together and wrote. So we have to be very careful about that. Secondly, people often get confused when they hear about the sinless son of God going to a place of what's described as horrific torment, uh, a.k.a. hell. Uh, Simply speaking, this is somewhat of an unfortunate translation that was associated with the King James Version and the translators. They really didn't distinguish between two different Greek words that have different meanings. If you dig a little bit into the Greek, in the King James Version, all the words that are translated as hell you'll find two Greek words underneath. One is Hades and one is Gehenna. If you sort those two out, basically Gehenna is what we would understand is the permanent place of torment, what we would call hell, right? Eternal hell, you know, after the Judgment Day. On the other hand, Hades is more of a temporary abode where people's spirits go when people die, bodies in the tomb or bodies been consumed by animals or bodies, whatever, in the ocean, etc., decomposing. But the eternal spirit of the person goes to this temporary abode called Hades, where they wait the judgment day. And so from that context and based on the underlying Greek in Acts 2, 27 through 31, Jesus did not go to hell, did not go to Gehenna. Instead, Jesus went to Hades. To be a little bit more specific uh, paradise, per Luke 23, 43, which is equivalent to what's um, sometimes called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16, verses 22 through 23. So there we go. Just a, a little insight into some of the questions related to the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, where they came from, what their you know nature is, a little bit about Jesus specifically in terms of his nature. And certainly, as Brian alluded to, As we begin to wrap up this first theme, there are a number of podcasts related to this topic. In fact, if you go to our website, BibleQuestions.org, if you click on the podcast menu item at our website, that'll take you to a page that not only has the most recent podcast episodes, but underneath that has the episodes arranged by different topics like God and Jesus. You'll find podcasts related to those. Also, if you go to our Topics menu item, with various alphabetical letters for the different topics, N for Nature of God and Nature of Jesus, as well as H for Hades. So a lot of resources that you can continue to study on this general first category of, you know, the Nature of God and of Jesus. So what's next, Brian? The next
1: section we'll take a look at is in relation to salvation and how to become a Christian. Another real popular section that we saw and certainly an important section. You know, when you think about how to become a Christian, that really is a very important question. and kind of falls into, you know, what category we might call like most important questions of our life. And so, for instance, in in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So that is kind of a universal question that we should be asking and when we think about it with all the diverse religious denominations that teach a variety of doctrines about salvation it's a very relevant question because as we'll get into some would argue that all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer all you have to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior well what does the Bible say that's the key question and so once again this is our most popular category in 2022 so we want to take a look at some of these questions for instance How about those people who died, though they know who Jesus is, but doesn't have a clear understanding of the Lord's saving grace, especially children or babies? Another question, if babies are saved when they die, when they say, which I believe the Bible affirms, does this mean he took away their free will because they never chose to reject or accept him? And then a third question, it seems that there are many people around the world who will never be exposed to the word of God. Condemning these people who are basically good seems on the face of it to be mean-spirited. So Jeff, we see in addition to those asking, you know, what must I do to be saved? We have all of these other thoughts about, well, wait a minute. What if they don't hear the truth? What if they don't understand the truth? What if they're a baby? Those kinds of things. And these are all good questions. So let's start out by talking about those who are not accountable. Children, babies, those, you know, who may die before they hear the truth. When you think about children, up to a certain age, which we realize that people vary, we all vary as far as our levels of maturity and understanding and how we comprehend things. But in general, you know, children up to a certain age are not capable of understanding the truth and therefore are not held accountable to the law of Christ. Well, how can I make that statement? Well, if we look in First John chapter 3 and verse 4, we're told, and this comes from the King James Version, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. So I think logically we would have to say that because babies and children do not understand the law, because intellectually they are not capable of doing that, then they can't transgress what they don't understand. Now, they will reach an age at some point, and once again, they have the mental acuity, we might say, to distinguish between right and wrong, to understand the law, if you will, and therefore transgress it. And so we want to make that distinction between children and babies and those who can comprehend. Now, the second section of question, why does God allow suffering or babies to die? Well, God doesn't want any to suffer. The Bible makes that very clear. But babies and, and people in general suffer sometimes, you know, just through the natural course of life. And if you think about it, you know, this is why God set up a system where loving people provide assistance to those in need. So, like you and I individually, if we are aware of a specific need and can help, we should help. The Bible makes that very clear. And let's just consider what's said over in 1 John three seventeen. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So once again, if you have the ability to help, and we realize there can be challenges, you you could say, well, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of people who need help in the world. I have a limited amount of resources. Well, that's true, and that's fair. But there are going to be people that may be part of your family or friends or your close neighbors or brethren who you know are in need and you have the ability to help them. That's what we're talking about here. So as it relates to the public in general or people in general, in most countries, you know, there are reputable relief agencies where we can also donate money or food or our time to help those who are in need. And so, you know, when it comes to the larger problems of starvation and those kinds of things, many relief agencies Can help out. So, you know, these are just a couple of examples of how God expects this type of problem to be addressed. Now, sometimes when it comes to like baby starving, well, sometimes babies starve because their parents are sinful and fail to fulfill the responsibility towards their children. So Think about the drunkard or the drug abuser. They're spending their money on those kinds of things instead of helping their own children. As a consequence of their sin, their children starve. And so sometimes you have something like that. Now, We have some previous podcasts that talk about, you know, how does God expect Christians to help other Christians? And God has a specific plan, like, for instance, in Acts chapter 11, verse 29, where we see that there were Christians who helped other brethren in other lands who were hungry because of a bad drought. Sometimes they sent money, sometimes they sold property, they gave their money to the apostles, or they sent the money to the elders of a congregation who would know that congregation, would distribute to it, and so forth. And so, you know, ultimately it is through that method or even through the person's family. So like First Timothy 5.16, you know, talks about how we need to help our own families out if we have the ability, not necessarily burden the church. So there's a lot of principles around that. We have plenty of material on our website and podcasts that we covered and talked about that. And then the final section here, Jeff, and then I'll turn it over to you for any comments. You know, people who are not exposed to the truth. This is another category of questions where we often have people make the assertion that, you know, there's people out there who will never hear the truth. We would say, well, is that really true? What, what does the Bible say about that? Well, you know, there are many passages that tell us that the gospel has been and will be preached to all in the world as a witness to all the nations. So, for instance, over in Romans chapter, well, let's start out with Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Jeff, you want to read
0: for us Romans 10, verses 17 through 18, where we have a similar thought? Okay. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So... We see just a couple of
1: examples here where God, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? God has given us his truth. If he's going to hold people accountable to the truth, then wouldn't it make sense that God would ensure that those of his creation would hear the truth? In fact, beyond that, we have many examples of God exposing people to the gospel when they were seeking the truth. So think about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 or Lydia in Acts chapter 16. In fact, Jesus, before he left this earth, even commanded his disciples in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, and this comes from the American Standard Version, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. So once again, we can reasonably assume that God gave the means and the methods by which the gospel could be preached. We certainly have many examples of those who are desiring to learn about the truth and why they're here and all those kinds of things being led to the truth. And so, Jeff, let me turn it over to you for any other thoughts you have on that.
0: I don't think I have too much more to add. But, you know, even in this very first section underneath, you know, salvation, as we said before, we recognize that, that God will hold, you know, humanity responsible. And yet there are some cases, like we mentioned, with, you know, either those that are, are so young they cannot understand, or maybe perhaps mental impairment. Their body may have grown up, but their minds are hindered that He will, you know, not hold them accountable. In fact, even those that, you know, may not have heard, there's a some provision, which I'm confident that, you know, God being a just and also holy and also merciful God, you know, will we'll take into consideration if there are those who have, you know, not heard of God's Word. In fact, there's a verse that talks about those who knew their master's will but didn't do it, punished with many stripes. Those who did not know the master's will, punished with few. But anyway, in terms of salvation, you know, from the get-go, we see that people need to respond. Now, in the next part of this topic, there's a question about, okay, how does God actually reach out, so to speak, and call people? For instance, we got a question, when is God going to show me the way like he did to the Israelites? Another example question. If fallen man is still able to do good works, like kindness, love, mercy, before being saved, like Cornelius or the Good Samaritan, is it possible that fallen man can make a decision to believe the gospel and accept Christ based on his own volition, reasoning, and free will without any help from God? And so, Brian, these are some interesting questions like, you know, what what's God's part, right, to get the process started? You know, uh, sometimes we hear the phrase, you know, God calling people. And these kinds of questions I, I think are, are very good, especially given the presence of a doctrine that's sometimes called Calvinism, which teaches that people are born totally sinful, totally incapable of choosing to believe in God at all. And Calvinism would say, based on that, it's up to, totally, up to God to choose personally exactly who he wants to save, and then, you know, irresistibly and miraculously selecting them, calling them, etc. However, as we dig into the scriptures, we realize that while God has certainly done the heavy lifting, if you will, through the plan of salvation, Jesus' death on the cross, etc., Man still has to exercise his free will and choose to believe and choose to obey the gospel. Now, hey, Brian, you want to lead us off with a quotation from Romans chapter 1, verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for
1: the Jew first
0: and also for the Greek. Similarly with the first gospel sermon, uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. Likewise, over in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So, hence, these and other verses point out the necessity of a person taking an active role in coming to God and not just sitting back and waiting for God to miraculously, quote-unquote, call them. Brian? The next
1: section we want to take a look at are questions about faith only. So, given the popularity of this category, we've had several where people ask questions about, you know, is it only faith that saves us, those kinds of things. In fact, here are some examples of questions that were submitted in 2022. Is someone saved in the moment that they mentally, internally repent and put their faith in Jesus? Or is one saved in the moment when they physically carry out their repentance and put an end to sinful patterns in their life? Next question, if we are saved by the blood of Christ through faith, why are we going to be judged by Christ for what we have done? This sounds contradictory. Are we saved by faith or works? another question is it possible for a christian to live a life of sin and still go to heaven without works or fruit but they believe jesus died on the cross for their sins and god raised him from the dead so their sins can be forgiven and believing in jesus christ is lord another question i have asked that jesus christ come into my life three or four different times in my life the reference in some cases the sinner's prayer like you have a bible some of the bibles that you can buy We'll have what's called the sinner's prayer in there we'll talk more about that in a minute but that's not part of the bible it's just something that the publishers added another question you know how are we saved we get a lot of those right jeff and then you know finally if a person has done horrible things like hitler and on his deathbed he asked god to forgive him would he go to heaven so these are all good questions ones that you know certainly come to mind for those who may not necessarily understand what the bible teaches So one thing that we do know from what the Bible teaches is that we cannot be saved by simply saying a prayer to God or by accepting Jesus as our Savior. And people are often led to believe that all they have to do is accept Jesus or bring Jesus into their life based on, as I mentioned earlier, the sinner's prayer. So, you know, this is a man-made doctrine or statement that, once again, sometimes you'll find within the first few pages of a Bible that the publisher decided to put in there, but it's not part of the Bible itself because the Bible gives us the specific steps of salvation, which we'll cover in just a moment. So often we talk about God's plan of salvation. So a part of being a good Bible student is looking to see what the Bible teaches as far as our accountability to God, like we've been talking about, what God expects us to do when we have sin in our lives. So for instance, Romans chapter three, verse 23, says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So what are we expected to do? Well, as you go through the Bible and you look at the different passages of people that have been saved. So the book of Acts is a great example of when you look at all of the different people who were saved, if you will, with Ethiopian eunuch, the Philippian jailer, Lydia and her household, Cornelius and his household, and so forth, you see a pattern. And, you know, one of the podcasts that Jeff and I did is how to properly study the Bible. And so one of the things that you have to do is you have to look at the context around those passages. You have to look at how we establish Bible authority, for instance, you know, approved example, necessary inference, those kinds of things. And so as you look at these passages, one of the things that becomes pretty obvious is that God has a plan of salvation. And so what is that plan? Well, as we look through the Bible, we see that we need to hear the truth. So we can hear it through a sermon, through a podcast, or we can even hear it by reading God's word and listening to what his word, if you will, says to us. And so we're told in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it starts with the word of God, not man's creeds, not some statement in the Bible like the sinner's prayer, but it starts with God's word. Once we hear that truth, we need to believe it. So we see in John chapter 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, speaking of Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So we need to believe that there's a God, we need to believe in Jesus, and we need to believe and understand why Jesus came to this earth. Once we have an understanding of that, we need to acknowledge the fact that we're sinners in need of forgiveness, And repent of those sins. So in Acts chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now, some people stop right there, don't they, Jeff, where they read a passage like this just by itself and says, well, there you go. I just have to acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I'll be converted and my sins are blotted out. Well, no. And and we say no because the Bible also makes it clear that there are a few other steps such as confessing our belief that Jesus is the son of God and we see an example of this in acts by the ethiopian eunuch in acts chapter 8 and verse 37 also in romans 10:10 10, 10, we're told for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and then we have to be baptized and you know when you look at those examples of conversion in acts once again ethiopian eunuch philippian jailer lydia cornelius and so forth their households what did they do? They were baptized. They were immersed in water for the remission of their sins. And that makes sense because we're told in passages like Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Ananias told Paul in Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord so it's important to emphasize baptism because one of the most common errors that you'll see in the denominational and in the religious world as a whole is they will try to say all you have to do is believe all you have to do is repent you don't need to be baptized well how can that be true when in every example of conversion that we read about in the bible and you look at specifically in Acts. It always involves baptism. And in fact, if you go on to study a little bit further and more closely, you see that it's in the likeness of Jesus' death. So just as he died, buried, and arose, when we're baptized, we die to sin. We arise to walk in newness of life as a new man and so forth. So it all makes sense. You just have to do what the Bible says. Baptism is essential. And once we follow these steps, well, then we're added to the Lord's church. So Acts 2 verse 47 tells us the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And then we have to be faithful. So another big mistake that all of us can make is think that once we're saved, we're always saved by the grace of God. Well, that's not true. We have to remain faithful. And if we sin after we're baptized, we have to repent of that sin. And so Revelation 2.10, Jesus himself said, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. So what does that suggest? Well, that the opposite is true. That if we're not faithful unto death, that we will not receive that crown of life. And so, Jeff, many different passages here. I'm just going to go over one more, and then I'll turn it over to you. And that's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, where it talks about this promise of eternal life for those who are faithful. An inheritance, it says, that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so, it's a wonderful promise of eternal life for those who are faithful. And Jeff, before I just finish up those last couple of categories of questions, anything that you want to mention about the plan of salvation or anything
0: else you want to add? Uh, maybe just a footstop one point that, that you touched on, it, and that is you can go to the Bible. You can probably find a verse that teaches, in some ways, what you want it to teach. But the problem is we need to properly harmonize all that the Bible says on a particular subject. I mean, I'm thinking, about, you know, John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world, whoever believes his son, etc. And people want to use that verse and go see belief, salvation, or belief and forgiveness, or belief in eternal life. Okay, therefore faith only. Well, no, you have to look at all the scriptures that deal with the subject as as we've been trying to do here. So I just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you bringing that up. And
1: so the last couple quick categories here, I mean, to answer a couple of the questions that we asked as it relates to, you know, the Christian faith being an active faith. So the Bible does make it clear that our faith must be active. So in James chapter two, if you read verses 14 through 26, you'll see passages like verse 24, where it says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So as we were talking about in Ephesians 2.10, God created us to do good works. And I, I emphasize this because, once again, some believe that, hey, once you're baptized, your sins are forgiven, your ticket's stamped, so to speak, to go to heaven. Well, no, it's not. It is actually just the starting place. It's you saying that now, Lord, I've committed my life to you to do those good works that you prepared beforehand Use me as you will. And part of that is learning his truth so that you can teach others. Part of that is helping those in need, those kinds of things. And then that last part there, you know, as far as people being saved on their deathbed, you know, we can only draw conclusions from what the scriptures teach, and we do not have the authority to say if and when God may extend grace in certain circumstances. So in other words, the question was that we read earlier, you know, if somebody has done horrible things like Hitler and is on their deathbed and he asked God to forgive him, would he go to heaven? Well, the Bible makes it pretty clear that you have to repent and be baptized. So the immediate answer would be, well, according to the scriptures, no. However, there could be circumstances that are beyond our understanding, and we certainly don't speak for God. God did not make us judges. But the truth makes it clear you need to be baptized. So Once again, we want to be careful not to say, well, they didn't have the ability to be baptized because they were so sick. Well, will God make an allowance in that case? Don't know. And really wouldn't even want to guess because it's God that makes those decisions, not us. So therefore, what's the more important point here? That we should all obey the gospel while we can, while we're alive, while we're healthy, and not hope for some type of reprieve if we repent or accept Jesus on our deathbed. And so, anyhow, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you for any other thoughts you have.
0: Well, and, and I like that concluding thought because sometimes people will have a prolonged period of dying, you know, like terminal illnesses, etc. And other times, you know, they get run over by a car and, you know, they're unconscious and they're dead. So certainly there is no guarantee that you will be able to live however you want to live. And then in the last few moments go, okay, God, I repent. Well, is that really sincere repentance? And will you be given that amount of time? And will you be, you know, have an opportunity, as Brian indicated, to be baptized? There is also the wild card, if I could use that term, of when Jesus comes again in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You, know, you won't have time to get ready, as many of uh, Jesus' teachings uh, indicate. So, yeah, again, under the overall category of salvation, in particular, you know, is salvation a matter of God miraculously calling us? No, we have to exert our free will. Is salvation a matter of, okay, fine, faith only? Well, no, as we've seen here. Uh, And as Brian alluded to, one of the uh, acts, if you will, in the plan of salvation that a lot of people get confused on is this matter of baptism, which I'll spend a, a few moments here talking about, uh, in fact, sample question: Is baptism a salvation according to the Bible? Certainly, there's lots of confusion over what we might call scriptural baptism or New Testament baptism or baptism according to the New Testament pattern. You know, there's a lot of confusion over who the subject is—you know, infants versus believers. Confusion over the element, if you will, water or Holy Spirit. Confusion over the, what I might call the mode—you know, immersion pouring, sprinkling, and certainly a whole lot of confusion over why, over the purpose. Some groups claim it is to remove original sin that a person has inherited from Adam. A lot of Protestants would say, well, it's an outward sign of an inward grace or an outward sign that one has already become a Christian. I think the Baptists teach that it is an act to join a particular religious denomination like the Baptist Church. A lot of confusion. However, anchored in Ephesians 4 verse 5 is a very clear statement that there is one baptism, not many. So, all these different perspectives, you know, they could all be wrong, but they cannot all be right. So, very simply speaking, you know, New Testament pattern, scriptural baptism is, number one, immersion, number two, in water, Number three, a repentant believer. Number four, in order to have the forgiveness of sins and to become a saved Christian. Some verses that uh, Brian already alluded to, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Acts 2, 38, and Acts 22, 16. So a little bit of a added light on the specific subject of baptism and all the different kinds that are out there and the one kind that we can find within Scripture the one baptism for all Christians as associated with salvation. Brian, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, along with that, you know, one of the other errors that we see commonly is those who believe, as we kind of alluded to already, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. There's nothing you can do to be lost. You've been baptized. Well, what does the Bible say? And let's just start by looking at some questions along this line that were submitted. Can a person choose by God to be saved still lose it? Can a Christian lose their salvation after a profession of faith? God forgives past sins. What about present and future sins? Another question. So I believe once saved, always saved because I bypassed judgment day as I accepted Jesus. And my name is written in the book of life. Why then does Jesus say that he never knew the person in Matthew 7, verse 23? And in Revelation 21, 8, it says that some people that practice some certain types of sins will burn the lake of fire after judgment day. Well, to begin with, the, the first question, you know, can a person chosen by God to be saved still lose it? Well, one of the things we'll see is, yes, you can lose your salvation. But I want to talk just about the idea of chosen. You know, the idea that God has chosen who will be saved is based on the false doctrine of Calvinism, which, you know, unfortunately has permeated many religions today. In fact, Jeff and I did a series on Calvinism because it's such a dangerous false doctrine. Well, one thing that we do know is that God offers salvation to all, not to any who were chosen, but really the class of those people who will obey his will. And Peter makes this clear, for instance, in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, where he says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, as far as losing our salvation, you know, those questions that we were asked about that very specific thing. You know, there are many passages that teach we can be lost after we've initially been saved. And and here's a few. Uh, Hebrews 3.12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Galatians 5.4, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law You have fallen from grace. Jeff, you want to read Hebrews 12, verses 14
0: and 15? Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And then 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands
1: take heed lest he fall. So these are just a few examples of where, as we read in Hebrews, you can depart from the living God. Now, think about it in terms of justice. Would it be just if someone could be baptized and then just go on sinning and God still saves them because of his grace? Well, that would be unjust, right? And we see that in civil society. Would you feel okay with somebody who commits a crime, they go to jail, they are or let out of jail, and they go on committing crimes, but they're never held accountable because, well, we want to show mercy to them. We'd say, well, that doesn't make sense. They need to pay the punishment for their crimes. Well, it's no different here when it comes to sin. Would God be just if he saved those who were faithful and righteous and those who were not? It wouldn't make any sense. But for some reason, when it comes to religion, some want to have this idea that, oh, once we're baptized, we're always saved, we can't be lost. Well, fortunately, even after we're baptized, if we sin, God gives us a way to have our sins forgiven, which also shows that they need to be. So, for instance, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, We need to be faithful. We need to repent when we are not. And it's really a continuous requirement. Doing the will of the Father is a continuous requirement. So, going back to the passage that the uh, listener asked about Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, and and Jesus saying, I never knew you. That section of scripture says, and here's Jesus speaking. So, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this idea of practicing lawlessness, that's sinning. And so even after we are baptized, the Lord is only going to know us and accept us if we're obedient, not if we continue to sin. And then the final point here is it relates to the question that was asked about Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, where it talks about those who are cowardly and unbelieving and abominable, murderers and sexually immoral, will burn in the lake of fire, it says in Revelation 21.8. And this will, you know, basically apply to anybody who's an unrepentant sinner, they will be punished for their sins. That's what Revelation's talking about and would encourage you also to read matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46 for a summary of what will happen on the judgment day where in verse 46 jesus confirms that sinners will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life so jeff what we see here is a just god who will either reward us or punish us based on how we've lived our life as a whole and certainly even after we've been baptized
0: yeah, one of the kind of questions that we get that that I really really appreciate are from people who have been told faith only or who have been told once saved always saved. And and they will say that, for instance, but they'll go on to say, "Yeah, but I'm reading this verse that talks about the need for Christians to repent or losing their salvation or if you continue on in sin, there's no more a sacrifice for sins, et cetera. And how can this be? And I, as I said, I love those kinds of questions because you can tell people are thinking, you know, they're hearing one thing from their, you know, preacher or pastor or father or rabbi or whatever. And yet they're, they're also reading their Bible and going, hey, now, wait a minute, this doesn't quite seem to align uh, up. And again, we get those kinds of questions and we try to say, well, you know, you're right. This verse does indicate it's more than faith only. It's more than once saved, always saved. That indeed, faith, working, or an obedient faith, or a working faith, or a living faith, or a practicing faith, or however you want to phrase that, is needed. And for additional information, since this is probably one of the more popular questions we get, if you go to our website, again, at biblequestions.org, look under the podcasts menu item. We have a category called Salvation, uh, as well as a category called Calvinism. If you go over into our alphabetical topical index, uh, under Topics, there's Steps to Salvation, which is kind of the the broader umbrella. And then, of course, specific topics, A for Apostasy or Falling Away, B for Baptism, F for Faith, O for Obedience. Uh, And then, especially on the subject of Baptism, because it is so controversial, there's another menu item called Lessons, and you can go underneath there and get a uh, extended uh, lesson series on the subject of baptism. So lots of material on this overall subject, and of course that of salvation, or initial salvation. Yeah, that will wrap it for this first episode.
1: And why don't we talk a little bit, Jeff, about what we're going to be talking about in our next episode I'll just give our listeners a kind of a preview of what we'll talk about as once again, these are important questions that were submitted in 2022. So next time we're going to take a look at how to live as a faithful Christian and some questions in that category. We're going to look into dating, marriage, and divorce, and questions around that, premillennialism or future things, and what questions that were submitted about that. So we would encourage everybody to come back and listen next time for part two of this podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions Podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.